0: Welcome to Project Update, a podcast about the projects we're working on with special guest FizzGig. I'm Dave Ramsey.
1: And I'm Joe Simpson.
0: How's it going this week, Joe?
1: Pretty good. How's it going this week, FizzGig? So uh, this
0: is episode 50 of Project Update.
1: Yeah, happy 50 episodes. I thought we would celebrate by doing the most Project Update thing I could think of which is you not realizing it was episode 50 and me overthinking it for a couple of weeks and not doing anything about it. (laughs)
2: Congratulations. (laughs)
1: I'm going to consider this project shipped. (laughs) The funniest part is
0: that's in the notes. (laughs) And I still found it
1: hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, I... I, Yeah, it's it's an arbitrary number considering that we started doing a weekly podcast and then went to a bi-weekly podcast. And we've kind of skipped December's for the most part. But yeah, we've done 50 episodes of this, which is longer than our other podcasts. I think we made it to 40 for VR Hermits before we hung it up. Well, fantastic.
0: So that's a lot of content, Joe. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a lot of content to edit,
1: Joe. Yes. Yeah.
0: So, thank you.
1: You're welcome. So uh, what have you been working on? Mainly FM perception-related stuff for the show. There's been a lot of consulting work as well, but nothing particularly noteworthy. We had a big quality of life improvement in FM perception, at least for you and I. This is not stuff that I will ever make it to a user. But because of the way, especially on the way that the front end works, I have to pretty frequently make new windows and start new sessions. And every time Dave pulls the UI code to test something, he's got to load data and do this stuff. So Dave automated some stuff on the back end. And then we did some stuff on the front end to basically make it really, really easy for us to just open a window and Automatically import data from a set file path, which is ridiculous because there's actually a, what like a J Ramsey folder in my user's directory on my Mac because it's the <laughs> hard-coded path that Dave has on his because we're lazy. Um, so automatically load whatever XML is in that folder. So that could be a single file or that could just be a whole bunch of stuff in there. Um, Doesn't actually matter what the contents of that folder are as long as they're New XML documents from FileMaker, and then do all of the importing, parsing, creating the database, loading that in the UI, and then the UI side toggles on the dev mode for the front end of the app, which is just a, a shortcut that David and I use to annotate layouts and you know print out raw data. For, you know, say we've got a, a table of stuff. That's backed by a JSON array. We have a, a way to print out the just the JSON version of that. Um, if we need to traverse that manually, and then navigate directly to kind of the home screen and temporarily bypass the um kind of configuration screen. And one other change was on my end since I'm almost constantly working with the developer console open. Um Dave couldn't find a way to do this in code. You could, you can't really control the web view that he's using in the app via anything that he could find. But he wrote some Apple script that would just right-click on the web view for me and open the web tools and then click directly on the console tab. So it's always there. And then we added that Apple script to an automator and I run that automator with a keyboard shortcut attached to the app. So this is kind of one of those areas where like working on mac os is kind of fun because you can just add in all kinds of op- automation stuff to make work a little bit easier but it has the, the knock-on effect of just making my day and making these iterations so much faster like i can I, I went from you know basically i'm going to make a new window that was like a it was probably a 25 second thing with at least half of that time of me pushing various keystrokes and pushing buttons on the screen or selecting menu options. And now it's just new window, wait, takes about 10 seconds now. And then there's actually a little message that pops up at the time at the top when the the app is ready to start developing with. So pretty, pretty cool. I like it.
0: Yeah, the other piece that I added on mine and you don't have this code yet, is at the end of that import process, it's automatically dumping all the SQL tables to CSV, Mm -hmm. which just makes it easier to dump them into a FileMaker database and run some finds or create a quick relationship just to confirm something. But that was one of of the other buttons that I was almost always hitting is parse everything, now dump it out so I can actually look at it. And having the ability to just new window, it does it. It's so helpful. But no, that's not going to make users' lives any better. It just makes ours much better.
1: So the other stuff that I've been working on um, in the project is actually kind of approaching development from two different directions or two different approaches. And most of what I've done up until the last couple weeks has been kind of high-level abstraction shared code type of development, like making mixins and components and the route navigation stuff, just kind of like setting up the structure of the app and how it's all going to work. And there's still work to do there, but it's far enough along that I can actually start working on the individual features for the app. And so there was a couple of days where I went through and created, I don't know how many views and components, probably 50 or so. that actually populate the router, all the navigation for the app. So I think everywhere that you're going to be able to go in version 1.0 already exists. Some of it is just boilerplate stuff, kind of waiting for content to be filled in. But now I can actually start, you know, if I've got, say I've only got two or three hours to spend on the project on a given day, I can just pick a UI and start working with it, getting data directly from the data store, building all of the columns for the list view, grouping the columns as needed, setting up any customization for that list view and then building the detail view, the various tabs that stuff is gonna fit into all the metadata cards, how we're gonna sort all that stuff and then working on the sub queries for that detail view. So it's gonna be the similar type of process for each of these um, list view, detail view combinations for all of the the core FileMaker objects. And then there's, you know, a bunch of other kind of queries that may not have a list view per se or may not have a detail view. Um, but more just like, here are all of the unreferenced items in the app spit out by, mm-hmm. you know, category type, things like that. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting place to be in the project where I need big chunks of time to work on some of the more abstract stuff. And... If I don't have it, I've got not an endless supply of work, but I've got a lot of work <laughs> that I can do. Um, it's, it's close to endless. Stuff. Yeah, so yeah, it's going pretty well. Uh, Lite is, and SQL in general, is the very best of the worst databases around. Um, it is, you know, I haven't used, too much other stuff. But I I like what I can do with SQL, but it is really annoying to work with sometimes. I understand why people throw their hands up and just like, I'm going to do something else. Um, <laughs> I don't always agree with what they decide to do instead. But, but yeah, particularly the SQL lite version that we're working with seems to be missing some of the core join features. Like You can't do a full outer join. Um, Certain aspects of write joins don't work in the same way that they do in, say, FileMaker's SQL or My So there's been a little bit of like, you know, very explicit Google searches and Stack Overflow searches for like, you know, make sure to include SQL Lite, not SQL, yeah. because otherwise you're finding answers that are oh, misleadingly simple. Just do this. Well, just do this doesn't work in SQL Lite.
0: Yeah, make make sure you put the SQL Lite part of the query in quotes because mm-hmm. it yeah. has to have SQLite.
1: Yeah. So lots of that. It is weird that like I'm the front end developer on this project and I'm writing a massive amount of SQL. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm doing it in you know multi-line text variables in <laughs> JavaScript, which is even weirder. But it works. So what have you been working on?
0: Um bunch of weird little things i i periodically get these kind of entropy cycles Mm -hmm. where everything around me just kind of breaks yeah and part of it is just kind of sitting back and trying not to touch stuff during that time um this isn't this isn't necessarily a mood thing like during one of the most famous of my high entropy cycles, I was having a very pleasant evening playing video games with friends and a car crashed into my house. (laughs) This was a number of years ago, but it's like, I'm not talking about things that I do. It's just everything around me starts breaking and it all clumps up in weird ways. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so during this time, you know, the, the number of bug reports for things that nobody's ever touched will just go through the roof on previous products and, and things like that. So lots of weird distractions and things. Um found a crasher in the current FM perception. Yeah. Yeah. If you hide or minimize the app window and then restore it, it breaks. Okay. Um and this has to do with code that I put in the view did appear, view did disappear handlers. Mm, Yeah. Um, which generally works exactly as you'd expect on iOS, but this is not iOS. This is one of those weird spots where, um, the fact that they used the same general structure, but didn't do everything exactly the same when building iOS and then making iOS the most popular operating system within the family means that, almost all your Google search queries are going to return how this stuff behaves in iOS. Mm-hmm. So when I was working on fixing my Ram problems, I moved some code into here. The problem is when you hide or minimize the app, it the view qualifies as disappeared. And so when you unhide or maximize the app, the view appears again and it runs that code and it's all bad. Yeah. So <clears throat> Gotta move that stuff around. I, I first fixed the thing by shifting it to view did load and then the finalizer, which fixes the crash perfectly and reintroduces the memory management issue. Hmm. <laughs> where closing the window doesn't free up any of that memory at any yeah. point. So this is the part where I kind of mandatorily have to complain a little bit about uh, the .NET memory manager But by specification, it says once the memory is is released, it will be freed at some indeterminate point in the future. Mm -hmm. It is so helpful when writing standard, you know, Objective C or Swift.
1: Wait, I got it. .Net memory management is the Egyptian pharaoh. I'm going (laughs) to let these people go. I don't have a timeline for you yet, but I'm going to do it. I promise <laughs> you're going to need to part the, the red sea to get that memory out of there.
0: Um, yeah. So if I'm done working with something and I release all the connections to it, I may or may not have done that properly. And if I did do it properly, then eventually it will go away. But if I didn't do it properly, eventually is forever. hmm and so I can't look at some log statements and say, okay, I can see it go away. I must have done that properly. It, it's one of these weird things where you, you, you write the code and you can't tell if it's actually working, maybe for days. So you shift out of the mode where you're worried about memory management and then suddenly find out that you're sucking up RAM. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's really kind of infuriating. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, So the next thing on the agenda is shifting to using a window delegate that can capture when the window is going to close, Mm -hmm. actually legitimately close. And during that, doing the memory management work to clean up and release that memory. The cool part is I've got the code that, that does all of this stuff. I just need to figure out the right place to put it. Mm-hmm. Tie it to the right event so that it properly tracks. Yeah, um, using the window delegate, it would be like three lines of code if I was writing this in Swift or Objective C in Xamarin Mac using the .NET libraries. It's a little bit more complicated because of the way that inheritance works in Xamarin. Mm-hmm. Basically, I I could make my view controller is already like a view delegate. I could also make it a window delegate and just throw the code there and everything would work and everything would know about everything else. And it would be easy in, you know, when, when using the .NET stuff on Mac, I really can't, I can't seem to figure out how you make this thing. Um, get code or 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 act like multiple delegates at the same time Mm
2: -hmm.
0: so um yeah so i've got to make a spawn a separate little window delegate cross connect them so they can pass messages and then capture the message pass the message and then clean up those connections so i don't start leaking memory from there Mm -hmm. but so that's 12 lines of code it's just the right 12 lines of code um, I've also kind of started performance fun around 9,247. <laughs> I, nice. I, I started working on script step parsing and boy, are there a lot of script steps. I'm not you like different script steps. I'm talking about in a solution. There are mm-hmm. lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of script steps. Mm-hmm. And this is especially fun because I can foresee that layout objects are going to be every bit as bad, if not worse. Yeah. It's, it's not all that common to write a hundred line script. You can do it. We've all done it, mm-hmm. but it's trivially easy to make a 100 object layout. Or I think it's more difficult not
1: to make a hundred object <laughs> layout. Right. Most of my layouts have, You know, most of like the the business production, like admin people working out these layouts have hundreds if not thousands of layout objects.
0: Yeah. So, um, but part of what I'm running into now is I've I've reached a threshold for code complexity and performance analysis. Previously, it was really easy to just comment out some lines of code and say, just run this part. Mm Mm-hmm and have that do something useful that I could look at and say, this is faster, this is slower, how does this improve? Now the code has gotten too big for that. It's too interconnected. And so I I really kind of need some real performance analysis tools. The the difficult part is the Mac.net... Xamarin stuff doesn't really have them. Mm -hmm. So I need to shift back over to Windows and do some testing there. And honestly, I haven't worked substantively with their performance tools. So I have to learn those performance tools and see how good they are. If they aren't good enough, I know that these things are actually logging out to text files. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to have to stop and spend some time writing my own performance analysis tools that take those logs and parse them and turn them into something that I can look at.
1: When maybe with Xamarin on the Mac, they expect you to use Xcode's profiling stuff. To a certain
0: degree, it seems as though they do, but the proper integration with instruments doesn't really seem to be there.
2: Hmm.
0: Um, Part of the process of building for performance analysis in Xcode adds extra code to every single function so that it does certain things. Yeah. There doesn't. I can't find the way to to make that happen when running through a .NET based build chain. It might be something where what I have to do is um, figure out how to actually build this from the command line, mm-hmm. because somewhere in that build chain is the xcode build tools. Yeah, it's just all abstracted away from me right now. And so that's actually a really good idea. I should spend some time seeing if I can just integrate with instruments because for all of its complexity and how difficult it is to work with until you figure out how it works and how to get from like point A to answer, mm-hmm. instruments is disgustingly good yeah. for being able to, to do this stuff. It's just, it's entirely inscrutable. You, you could not figure out what to do with instruments without already knowing how to work with instruments. Mm-hmm. You, you have to research, you have to learn. And honestly, most code tools are like that. Like you yeah. can't pick up FileMaker and make it do something useful without running a tutorial, reading a walkthrough, watching videos. You, you have to learn. Yeah. At or even- least a basic level.
1: Or even like the, the difference between writing scripts and using a script debugger. You have to learn what it even is to debug a script and how to step mm-hmm. through things and what the error messages mean. And like that's not something that just pops into your head for free. You have to learn that stuff. So.
0: I also really want to test the performance hit for moving to a file-based rather than in-memory SQLite mm-hmm. database um ssds are really good and they're really fast but are they good
1: enough i think they have to be if you're going to build any kind of like part what i understood as part of the objective of this product was to build a save file Mm -hmm. the save file to me says my data all of the database is going to be on disk when i come back to it later um so i don't think you have a choice even if it's a step down performance i think you need to figure out what that step down is and start optimizing from there as opposed to like, is this good enough to do this? Otherwise we'll keep it in memory. Cause I don't think the in-memory thing is, is an option. Uh,
0: yes and no. So one possible way to do it might be to have a save file, which on opening loads itself into RAM. So mm-hmm. that when we get to the point where you're running the query, it's actually running the query against the in-RAM representation.
1: Yeah. But what I'm talking about from the UI side is when the user's editing data, inserting new stuff into that database, that's just doing it into memory. What part of the process is taking that in-memory database and converting it to a stored database? are you actually gonna just make a new copy of the SQL database and save it to disk? Or can you actually just save the in-memory one as a file?
0: So there doesn't appear to be a way to save the in-memory one as a file. Mm-hmm. So it's basically like an export and re-import process. Yeah. Um, and that's a, another performance thing that I have to test. If it's trivial enough, but the performance difference is big enough, it might also be worthwhile to say, "I would like to run in memory for a while. Don't make files. I want the fastest process, not the most long-term process." Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in, in that state, it would be great. It, it, it's, I mean, it, the the question is going to be how big's the hit?
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: If it's ten or fifteen percent, let's just run off the disk all the time. If it's 80% might be worthwhile to have the ability to, to not do that.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, I don't need long-term disk storage. Yeah. It's it's unnecessary for me. So I, but that's all going to be tested. Um, and the, the application is big enough and doing enough now that we can actually, you know, run a test, And that test should be representative of what's going to happen in the future. Mm You know, we're, we're parsing enough data, but until I test it out, I won't know. So that's another kind of big thing on the agenda. Another little source of reflection recently has been in some ways how much easier FM perception is than FM comparison for you. Now this is only in some ways because in other ways it's dramatically more complicated, but it, it, it's kind of different kinds of trouble. Mm-hmm. Um In FM perception, it's, you know, parse the data, store the data, retrieve the data. I don't have to match that data with equivalence across dissimilar versions, mm-hmm. which was, mind-bogglingly complicated but at this point all the big heavy lifting in fm perception is ui and functionality based and and polish like like getting it really really optimized for presenting the users with exactly what they want when they want whereas fm comparison was kind of a as long as it's clear the exact order of these properties is not relevant. Mm -hmm. It's just making sure that we always flag when those properties change. Yeah. It's just like, like digging into script steps, comparing two script steps to each other is horrible, just horrible. (laughs) But in some ways, just grabbing the data and running with it is really easy until it gets to your part, which is also what I love about, the model that we've got for FM perception over FM comparison is that I don't have to figure out how to style any of this stuff, mm-hmm. how to arrange it or organize it. I have to. I'm I'm really just the back end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's just a thing that's been running through my head. I didn't know if you had any thoughts on that topic.
1: Not really. <laughs> you. Don't,
0: you don't feel that way.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean it's it's a lot of work. Yeah. So I wanted to give an update on my new uh, change of schedule and routines that we talked about last episode. Mm -hmm. So I think where we left off is I was kind of uh, of spinning my wheels, being stuck in a rut with the way I was working and decided to kind of move things around in my day and try to get myself unstuck. And that's pretty much what I did. Um, The start of the last two weeks, the, that first week, I basically you know, got up in the morning, read for a while, did some exercise, had some breakfast and went to work. And that made a pretty big improvement over the previous weeks. I was getting more done and generally feeling better um, and then being able to stop at a certain time of day and just generally being able to turn work off. And that worked out pretty well. And the second week, I made one adjustment, which was I was kind of feeling rushed in the morning of, you know, trying to get enough time in to read, but then, you know, stopping in time to get a good workout in or rushing through the workout to get a shower or, you know, trying to get to my desk on time. So the, the main difference that I made the second week and this week is just moving the exercise parts to the end of the day. So I get up at six in the morning and I've gotten until nine o'clock to get at my desk and during those three hours I can read and have breakfast and go for a walk or play with the dog or do whatever I'm going to do. Um, have lots of time to think and plan my day out without any expectation of getting anything productive done during that time. And that has made all the difference. And the reason I mention all of this non-work stuff is because it's made the last two weeks, it's, it's made me just generally better. Like I'm, making better decisions i'm taking on fewer tasks per day instead of an unrealistic workload like i'm going to get all this stuff done today and just you know burning out halfway through it i'm pretty much every day deciding what i'm going to do and you know as i'm putting together my to do list like nope that's too much for today you know throw that to tomorrow or throw that back on the list and as a result of that type of planning and decision making i'm actually getting done everything that i Think that I should be getting done. And I think it's not that I'm doing less now. It's that I'm actually doing a reasonable amount of work now, instead of trying 10% harder to do an unreasonable amount of work. Like I was mm. previously and then beating myself up for it. Um, the, the biggest thing that's missing from this current new routine is I'm not doing any side project work yet. That's still on hold. And I may look at that next week or next weekend um, because I've got some ideas of stuff I want to do. But I've had so much other stuff going on with work that it's been better to just leave that on the side. Physically speaking, like last Sunday, not yesterday, but the Sunday before that, I looked in the mirror and like I didn't look dead, which was kind of (laughs) weird. I didn't realize just how bad I had looked for the last couple of months just kind of like dragging myself through life. And I looked in the mirror like, hey, Joe's back. Like I haven't seen him in months. <laughs> like color was coming back to my face. I lost 15 pounds in the last 10 days. What? Um, yeah. Just like generally just making better decisions, eating better, getting more exercise. Um, and it's mo- I, I attribute it mainly to just having that time in the morning to get some perspective for like, why am I doing any of this? as opposed to just like going through one motion after another and just kind of like, okay, I've done everything I can do now. I'm just gonna eat crappy food and watch TV or play video games. Like, so yeah, it's going pretty well. Um, There is one mitigating circumstance or possible mitigating circumstance, and that is the dog. She could be throwing off these results because my mood definitely goes way up when she's around. (laughs) So she's going home today, so we'll see how I do this week. But yeah, generally speaking, doing much better. And, um, I mentioned last time i was you know I would probably eventually return to the early morning schedule as of now, I'm kinda of leaning against that. I think I'm gonna keep on this newer or older schedule that I used to do for years and really only break out the emergency schedule when there's an emergency, so i you know I need to do a development to production migration for a big project and like that i can get up early and do that as a one-off thing rather than that becoming how i work again um but yeah i don't at this point i don't see any reason to to go back to the schedule i think i'm getting more quality work done in fewer hours now and it's kind of hard to argue with that
0: yeah i i'm jealous
1: yeah yeah dave and i were joking that only one of us gets to be productive at a time, and it's my turn. So maybe <laughs> nothing that I did had any impact whatsoever, and it's just my turn. And that could be as well.
0: I, I want the brain back, Joe.
1: Nope, it's mine.
0: <laughs> give, it, give, it, give it back.
1: Nope, it's mine, my brain. So the other thing I wanted to follow up on, um, long-time listeners will remember, at the beginning of 2020, I made myself a little time-tracking system And I I initially mocked it up in Swift UI and core data and then eventually migrated it to a FileMaker database. And it is a a super dead simple thing. I don't track time per project per se. It's more like just categories of time. So there's a category for the work I do for Dave. But I I don't make any distinction between FM comparison or FM perception or any of the other stuff that we've talked about. there are so you know each of my customers have a category there's a business category there's an education category there's a category for the WebXR side project there's still one left from retrospective timelines so that type of stuff and the interface is just about tracking blocks of time so i'm not clocking in or out i'm not entering a start time or end time i'm just saying i worked for three hours on this i worked for an hour and 45 minutes on this and 20 minutes on this and i've got a very simple little interface that i can just tap some buttons to add that time up as I go. And it's a very frictionless interface. That's one of the things that really bothered me about other time tracking apps is they want you to to run timers or pick start times and end times. And you got to use those weird, weird like scrolly wheel things on iOS or time pickers on the Mac are notoriously bad. Um, So this was just a, a much simpler thing that I can, you know, grab my phone at the end of the day, tap a couple of times and have my time track for the day. Um, so I did that for a year and actually over a year cause I'm still doing it. And I have some conclusions to draw from it.
0: Oh, please. Um, I love data.
1: So a lot of this is, um, pretty jarring. 53% of my time last year went to client work. So 47% of my time didn't, which is <laughs> terrifying. Um, I mean, I did a pretty, I made a pretty good living last year. Um, but yeah, the uh, the things that stand out, I'm not going to go into specific numbers, but really just talk about percentages. Um, and I can bleep this part out if Dave wants me to. But Dave's, um, the revenue that Dave hired me for was 30, 30, uh, 36% of my revenue, but he got 63% of my development time. I Sounds like an awesome deal to me. Yeah. <laughs> Now I think a lot of that is attributed to me learning Vue at the beginning of that. Um, It's a big part of that. And also the other thing of like during June and July last year, you got me full time because of the timing of my other projects. So if you look at those two months, I was working almost entirely full time on your project and not doing anything else. Mm -hmm. So that way they threw the numbers off as well. Okay.
0: As a side note, I don't have any any problem with sharing those percentages. If you want to, I think it makes me look better than it makes you look.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So
0: If you're okay with the percentages, I'm, I'm okay with those percentages.
1: Yeah. So 36% of revenue, 63% of time, which is an interesting inversion. Um, The other things that were interesting is in terms of my client side stuff, the longer I've worked with a customer, the more money I make and the less time, I spend so. My longest <laughs> customer was 25% of my income and less than 5% of my time last year, which is pretty great. Um, now, and it seems to be all of my customers are on that type of track at various stages of the life cycle, which is kind of cool. And this this is partly because I do project-based, you know, big development projects and then multi-year retainer agreements, so that over time, you know, I don't necessarily lose money up front, but I'm not making you know, the highest pr- profit rates up front, but I'm making that back over time doing maintenance and support and additional features. And it's worked out fairly well for me. Um, the other things that are interesting and need to be addressed is project update is my third biggest customer. but project update doesn't make me any money. Um, it It was, it took 93 hours of my time last year. Oh, so, yeah, that's a thing that I should spend some time thinking about. Oh. Um, retrospective timelines got about 85 hours before I hung it up. Um, the WebEx, stuff, 271 hours, <laughs> just noodling on stuff. So that's a problem. And my biggest non-billable category would be my business stuff. So I'm just got kind of like a general, like business admin stuff. And that was like 25% of my unbuilt time, um, which isn't a problem, but I do want to reduce that number this year and just kind of streamline as much of that stuff as possible. So I don't have, I haven't really had a chance to sit down and set hard and fast goals yet, but I want to shift that 53% of client work to maybe 60 or 65% for 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, continue that going up and that that unbillable 35% will be split across running the business um, stuff that's not yet you know client focusing stuff like the WebXR stuff I want to eventually become a consultant in that type of technology but right now I'm kind of counting that as unpaid work Um, but it may be that I reallocate those hours into the paid category So yeah, it was just interesting stuff Now that I've got a a year's worth of data to look back on. Um, It was just kind of fun to look at those two buckets, you know, revenue versus time and see how I'm doing. And I think what I'm going to do is just build myself some stuff on in my archives database to do kind of more timely versions of that. So like break it down by, I don't think weekly is necessarily helpful, but I charge most of my retainer customers by month. So I might start doing like a running. You know, this month so far, here's how much each each customer has brought in, here's how much time you spent on them. Um, so that way if I'm noticing like, you know, it's halfway through the month and I've already spent half of my development time on WebXR stuff, like maybe time to tap the brakes and focus more on my client stuff. Mm-hmm. Things like that, rather than waiting till next February to freak out. <laughs>
0: Well, and it, it, at some level, I, I still think you got to give yourself at least a little bit of a pass on at least some of the WebXR stuff. Mm-hmm. Because, it, yes, you want it to turn into a consulting uh, a profit center later, but it's also a hobby thing. Yeah. Like, it, it's one of the, the challenges that I have a lot mentally is – my hobby and my professional life are very, very similar Mm -hmm. and giving myself permission to spend a disgusting amount of time on something that actually isn't going to make any money Mm -hmm. is, is difficult because we're so used to, particularly as consultants tying hours to dollars Mm -hmm. that we want to do that with everything. And then you start, uh, uh, tracking the time that you spent watching a movie. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, that was, you know, $400 that I could have made.
1: No, you were watching a movie, man. Give yourself a break. Yeah. And that's one of the interesting things about looking at this type of data is because I don't bill hourly. Um, I do entirely project-based bids or retainer Mm -hmm. stuff. And there was one... I did a little bit of hourly work for a fellow consultant last year cuz he had some overflow work and it, it was just easiest to do that hourly. But that's it. So I don't I'm not necessarily thinking about how much each customer is I'm making per hour from that. It's more just looking at the the overall percentages that I found were was interesting. And maybe I should figure out, you know, maybe I should run some other numbers as well like um how many GitHub issues per customer? How many tasks in my task list like does it take significantly more notes to work on dave's project than it does to work on another project
0: (laughs) (laughs) well and and that's the other problem with metrics is figuring out which metrics matter
2: Mm -hmm. yeah
0: All, all metrics are interesting but not necessarily useful
1: yeah so one other quick update before we go. Um, There's a couple of events this week that I thought were interesting. One is the, the VR Columbus group is having an online meetup. Um, I've attended VR Columbus on and off for a couple of years. It is a Columbus-based meetup about virtual reality. But since we are not meeting physically, um, all are welcome if you want to join. There's a a Facebook page I'll put a link to and a meetup page and I'm not sure how we're meeting this week. I, I think we're meeting tomorrow, but I'm not sure if we're doing a WebEx or Zoom or um, one of the guys mentioned a new Discord server. So I'm not sure how we're meeting, but if you're interested in any of this this VR stuff that I've been talking about, um, we generally have people in the group, like I'm doing WebEx stuff. There are people who work in Unreal Engine. There are people working in Unity. It's not necessarily a developer group. It's more just about VR enthusiasts, people who are making and consuming VR, Um, there's an author who wrote some sci-fi books where VR plays a prominent role in that world. So it's just an interesting little community. So if you're interested in any of this stuff, check out VR Columbus uh, Tuesday at 6.30 Eastern Standard Time, uh, 6.30 PM. And the other one is not an event I know anything about, but it sounded interesting. And it is sponsored by Venture Beats and Oculus. And they're doing a Kind of a science fiction tech and games and VR uh, event discussing how science fiction has influenced technology and vice versa Um, <laughs> and it's an interesting event because you can attend it in VR in Oculus venues on the Quest or you can just attend it in Zoom if you just want to sit back and relax but it sounds fun that's on Wednesday kind of in the middle of the day so it's going to break up the day for me I'll post a link to both of these things in the show note if anybody wants to hang out and get some ideas or just hang out with people very cool cool i think that's all we have for this week